Prezi. Y'all are so welcome. So, come. Um, so, we teach you things that are wrong. We do not do so deliberately, but because we are finite, limited people trying to teach you about an infinite God, we're going to get some stuff wrong, yeah? So we're going to misunderstand things or just only see things in part um, and we just make honest mistakes. And I say that because I'm going to be talking to you today about the nature and the character of God. And I do so with a lot of trepidation because <laughs> I know how far above me he is and how much of him I just don't know. Like, I, but, but yeah, I'm here. Um, I know that he has brought me here to do this. And so by his grace, we will rock on because he is far more able to fix things than I am to screw him up. So, the Trinity, we're going to be talking about what that means and stuff. It's going to be great. That is the wrong button because I clicked on that, so I need to come over here and click on that. Wait for it, wait for it. Ah, yeah. That Okay, so, uh, we understand what something is by comparing it to something else that we already know, yeah? So, if I don't understand what a parsnip is, If I don't understand what a parsnip is, you might say to me, well, it's, it's like a carrot, but it's white and it's a bit sweeter, right? Or if I'm trying to explain what my nan is like to you, and you already know my dad, I will say, well, picture my dad, um, but female and shorter and a lot louder, it's possible, and a lot more Jamaican. Um, and this is my nan. Uh, this is my human being, and obviously this is me, and that is my brother. Uh, We're not talking about them. Um, so we understand what something is by comparing it to something that we already know, yeah? The trouble with God is he's not like us. So we can't really compare him to anything that we know. So us trying to understand God is kind of like a colorblind person trying to understand the color red. Like he's, he's just totally outside of any frame of reference that we have. Um, and so we're not really gonna understand what we're talking about when we're talking about God, but that's okay. Because if I could understand God, then he wouldn't be much of a God. He wouldn't be that great. So, that's good. Um, this guy, Rob Bell, has an illustration that I find really helpful. So, this is a circle. Yes. What? This is a rectangle. Oh, yes! It is a rectangle. It's been great. So, it's either or. Right? This is either a circle or a rectangle. If you say to me what shape is this, I say it's a circle. If you say to me what shape it's is this, I say it's a rectangle. It's, an it's either or, right? Unless you're Toby Mills and you're trying to wind me up. <laughs> <laughs> so these shapes, oh I clicked on it again, it'll be fine. These shapes are in two dimensions, right? They've got height and they've got width. But when you move from two dimensions into three dimensions, <laughs> things start to get a bit different. So if I hold up this marker pen, and say, what shape is that? From that angle, from the side, it's a rectangle, right? But if I turn it that way, Whoa. it's a circle. Whoa. So, it's a cylinder. I knew it would be you or him. <laughs> so, ignoring Lily and Toby. <laughs> Try not to ignore them too much. Um, so when you talk about things in two-dimensional, it's either or, yeah? It's mutually exclusive, it's one or the other. But when you add a dimension, what was either or becomes both and. So when we're talking about God, we say things that in our limited 2D understanding seem like they're, they're mutually exclusive, it's one or the other, right? It ha they're things, they contradict each other, it's a rectangle or it's a circle. But 
with ghost in 3D just goes, yep. Does that make sense? Yep. Good. So that's what we're doing today. So I'm going to give you some truths about God that will hopefully happen when I do that. Yeah, see, the because I've got two tabs open and I keep clicking on this tab, so it's not on that tab, I just need to stop. Anyway, you don't need to know that. So the Trinity, here are some truths about God. Uh, so, yeah, right, there is one God. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Praise his name. We can go home. There is one God. This one God is three persons. I don't actually know why we use the word persons when we're talking about God. I tried to say people, and it sounded really wrong. I think that's just my church upbringing, so I'm going to say persons, but it's fine. Uh, this one God is three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Okay? And we're going to talk a little bit more about who they are in a bit. Each of these persons is completely, fully God. So you've got the Son, God the Son, Jesus, he is fully, completely God, right? You've got God the Spirit, he is fully God, and you've got God the Father who is fully God. There is only one God. Yeah. That's so So you've got tri, which obviously means three, and then unity, which is oneness. It's this like three-in-oneness idea. And the word trinity is... I need to put that down. I'm going to run the wall with it. The word trinity <laughs> is not actually found in scripture, but it is the best word that we have to try and explain how we understand the character of God as revealed in scripture. That's where that word comes from. So there are many illustrations um, out there which try to explain this, that try to explain the trinity. And I think with most things, illustrations are helpful up to a point. But I think when we start talking about the Trinity, illustrations can be really unhelpful because they're fundamentally flawed. And if we lean on them too much, we start thinking about God in a fundamentally flawed way. Um, because as previously discussed, we compare things to things that we already know, and that's how we understand them. But God is outside of our understanding, and it will get confusing. So, um, sure, we'll do that. So... What illustrations have you guys heard to try and explain the Trinity? Have you had any in like RE lessons or a new day or just wandering around your life? Anybody know any illustrations? Yes, Quince. Uh, someone wants an illustration about an egg. Mm -hmm. Can you explain it to us and then tell us why it's flawed? Uh, yes. The um, so the egg illustration talks about Father, Son, Holy Spirit being like the three parts of an egg the shell, the yolk, and the white of an egg. Yeah. And, uh, I guess it's flawed visually because they're just different size proportions and they do different things and all that, mm -hmm. and that's possibly and you can break an egg quite easily. So that's probably <laughs> that's, that's one yeah, of the main things that's an issue. with that yes. illustration. But in principle, I suppose, sort of. But you might explain. But who would say? He's not discussing the theological implications of that. <laughs> so the issue with Quince's egg illustration is that the. Quince's egg illustration that Quince has come up with and brought to us as a teaching tool. No. Um, the issue with that is that the egg shell on its own is not the egg. And the egg yolk on its own is not the egg. And the egg white on its own is not the egg. Yeah. Whereas God, the sun, for example, is fully God on his own. Well, then you've got three separate eggs, but there's only one God. Yes, I think. You're beginning to grasp an egg in a three yolked egg. But it's a three yolked egg. Lydia got a two yolked egg the other week. I'm very happy. And it got two yolks. 
That's very exciting. Even so, it's not an accurate picture of the Trinity. Three eggs. It's got the same issue, Hattie, as the original egg, in that even with three yolks, they're still not a full egg. Um, so, yeah, there's a bunch of these that I won't bother telling you about because they're flawed. Um, but there was that one which I put a picture up of, so I'll show you that. You might see this in your RE textbooks. Oh, so, oh, yeah. This, it tries to be helpful. It tries to be a good job. So it's like, God is the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is not the Son, and so on. Uh, the issue with this, with, with this, is that it gives you the idea that there is some kind of indefinable God at the centre of it all, and the Father, the Son, and the Spirit kind of come out of this other God being, which is not how it works. Um, so this is the problem with all of our illustrations. They're all slightly... Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. This is the problem with all of our illustrations. Um, so the Trinity is a truth that we cannot fully understand. It is mysterious. Mm, back to that. We are, uh, our finite, limited, time-bound minds are not going to be able to understand an infinite, limitless, omnipresent God. It's just not going to happen. Um, but we can accept these things as true, even if we can't fully wrap, wrap our minds around them. Uh, and we can enjoy the good news that they are to us. So I'm just going to talk about these three persons and the relationships between them and why that is good news for us. So I'm going to start with the Father, because I think if you're talking about the Trinity, that's the best place to start. So the most foundational thing about God is not that he is creator and it's not that he is ruler. He is these things, but it's not his fundamental identity. When God reveals himself in the Bible, it's as Father. I will give you some examples. Uh, so, Old Testament, Jeremiah 31, God says, I am a father to Israel. Hosea 11, he says, out of Egypt I called my son. In Deuteronomy, Moses says that God carries his people as a father carries his son, and he disciplines them as a man disciplines his son. Uh, and then a bit later he says, is he not your father who created you? And even Isaiah, he prays, you are our father, a couple times. And then in the New Testament, Jesus is always referring to God as father. He even uses this word, Abba which is like super intimate and he got in a lot of trouble for it and it's part of the reason they killed him. Um, he, he uses this word Abba, which kind of means Papa or Daddy when he's talking to God. Uh, in John 20, he calls him my father and your father, my God and your God. Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 talks about one God, the Father, and I could go on, but you probably don't want me to, and you get the idea. God is, before everything else, a father. It's who he is all the way down, okay? And that means that everything that he does, he does as a father. He creates as a father, he rules as a father. And that totally changes how we can relate to him. If he was fundamentally a creator, then we could be in awe of God. Right? You look at the sky, you look at the sun, you look at the stars, and you would be in total awe of the one who made them. Right? If he was a ruler, then you could be grateful to him for his mercy. Like, in the same way that you could be grateful to a police officer for letting you off a speeding ticket. Not that any of you will ever experience that. Um, but, but if God is a father, then you can love him. If God is a father, then you can know him. You can have an intimacy with him that you couldn't have with a God who was just all-powerful creator or almighty ruler. I know that some of us have not had a good experience of fathers, but God the Father is not a copy of earthly fathers. Okay? He doesn't share their failures or their flaws. He is a good and perfect father. And if you struggle to relate to God as a father, it may be that you're taking your experiences with your earthly father and you're putting them on God as if he were the same, but he's not. He is infinitely better. He is here! 
is infinitely better than your earthly father could ever be. Alright? It's okay, it's just electricity. You're gonna be okay. It's alright. So God is a father. What does it mean to be a father? A father, Lydia, is someone who gives life, right? Someone who has, has children. So if, as the Bible teaches, God has always been a father, then this God is eternally and inherently, like, by his nature, it's who he is. He's life-giving. He's outgoing. Uh, it's what it means for him to be who he is, he, that he pours out life and he pours out love, right? So I'm now going to use an illustration, as dangerous as that is, because illustrations are how we understand things. Um, so, just like a fountain has to be pouring out water in order to be a fountain, the Father has to be pouring out life and love in order to be the Father. Does that make sense? Yes. So, yeah, it's his most fundamental identity. And that means that love is not something that God the Father has or feels. It's not one of his many moods. Love is what he is. It's who he is, all the way down. And he, he, he can't not love. If he didn't love, he wouldn't be the Father. That's pretty good news. So, God is a father, God is love, but he could not be love without somebody to love. He couldn't be a father without a child, right? Jesus says in John 17, Father, you loved me before the creation of the world. So throughout eternity, before creation, the father has been loving the son. Uh, the father finds his identity, his fatherhood, in loving and giving out life to the son. And this is why it's important to note that the Son is eternal. This is why it's important to know that Jesus is God. Uh, and that he, he, he's always been, he's always existed. There was never a time when he didn't. Because if that was the case, then there would have been a time when the Father didn't have a Son to love. And he couldn't have been Father and he couldn't have been love. And that means that God changed. And if God changed, then we've got a whole different bunch of issues. So the Father's identity <coughs> is about loving and giving out life to the Son. It's his nature. Yeah? And the nature of the Son is to shine out from his Father. Hebrews 1.3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So the Son is the radiance of the Father. So, incoming, another illustration. Don't try this at home. Uh, so like a lamp and its light, a lamp and its light, it's the nature of the Father to shine out the Son, and it is the nature of the Son to be the one who shines out from his Father. So, while both the Father and the Son are fully God, there is this definite shape to their relationship. Right? The Father is the one who shines out the Son. The Son is the one who shines out from the Father. Uh, overall, the Father is the lover and the Son is the beloved. Not that Jesus doesn't love the Father. Obviously he does. You can see it all over everything he does. Just pick up a gospel. Um, he even says that to do what pleases his Father is like food to him. Like He loves his Father. That is clear. But the Father's love is primary. The Father is the loving head. And that means that in his love he will send and direct the Son, whereas the Son never sends or directs the Father. There is this way that their relationship works. Yeah? So, Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, so I'm going to read you a page from this book. This is the best book on the Trinity I have ever read. The Good God by Michael Reeves. If you ever want to learn more about God, and why would you not, um, I recommend this highly. It's very good, and it's very well written, and it's easy to understand, and he's very funny. <coughs> not in this bit I'm about to read, he doesn't make any jokes, but in the rest of the book he's very funny. Okay, the father loves his son in a very particular way. Something we can see if we look at the baptism of Jesus. It says in Matthew 3, As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. 
And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased in it. Oh. Message. Here, the father declares his love for the son and his pleasure in him. And he does so as the spirit rests on Jesus. For the way that the father makes known his love is through giving his spirit. In Romans 5 verse 5, for instance, Paul writes of how God pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It is then through giving him the spirit that the father declares his love for the son. It's all deeply personal. The spirit stirs up the delight of the father and the son and the delight of the son and the father, inflaming their love and so binding them together in what 2 Corinthians calls the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It makes the father's love known to the son, causing him to cry Abba, something he will also do for us. Oh, that's good. He makes the father's love known to the son, causing him to cry Abba, something he will also do for us. And let's be clear, that Abba is said with joy, for the Spirit so makes the Father known to the Son that the Son rejoices. In Luke 10 it says, At that time Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. For in making the loving Father of light known, the Spirit is the bringer not only of love, but of joy, and is regularly associated with the joy next to which the merriness of... Is regularly associated with a joy next to which the merriness of wine is no substitute. So that's the Holy Spirit. And we're going to spend the rest of this term talking about him, which I am very excited about. Um, and I say him because the Spirit is a person. He's not an impersonal force. And I think probably because we call him the Spirit or the Holy Ghost, that's where we get this idea that he's just kind of a force. I think the projector melted my water bottle. Um, <laughs> but that's irrelevant. Uh, yeah, the Spirit is a person. So Jesus, we call Jesus the Word, or sometimes he's called the Arm of the Lord, like he's called these impersonal things, but we understand that he is a person. And the Holy Spirit is a person in exactly the same way. He, um, where is it? He speaks, and he sends, and he chooses, and he gives, and he teaches, and he can be lied to, and he can be grieved. Yeah, he's a person. So you say he and not it. And that's good news, because it means you can talk to him and you can have a relationship with him. And it's not some kind of weird impersonal force invading your body, because that would be slightly terrifying. So, um, we're going to talk about creation, because I like talking about creation. And also in creation, you can see how the relationships work with the Trinity. Ooh. I didn't even see that. Wow, wow, well, yeah, okay. M. Night Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan. However you say it. Okay, I'm going to put this somewhere up. So Genesis 1. Let's see if I can do this. Genesis 1 begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said... And it was lit. And it was lit. <laughs> so, uh, the word for spirit in that, the spirit of God hovering over the waters, the word in Hebrew, which obviously I needed to know, uh, the word in Hebrew is ruach, which can also be translated as wind or breath. Okay? So, spirit of God, breath of God. Put a pin in that thought. John 1. John begins his gospel in a deliberate mirroring of Genesis 1. So he says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He is hammering the point home. And then he says, through him all things were made. And you're like, okay, who is this word? You skip down to verse 14, I think it is. And John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, only glory. Uh, something about the Father, full of grace and truth. I forget that bit. That's not the bit you needed. But Jesus 
So the word, this word, that has been with God in the beginning, that is God, that was with God, through whom all things have been made, uh, this word is Jesus, right? Take the pin out of that one up here. So you've got this spirit, who is the breath, and you've got the word, who is Jesus. So in creation, the Father speaks, and on his breath, on his ruach, the word is heard. God's word goes out from him by his spirit. The Son goes out from the Father by the Spirit. So the whole trinity is involved in creation. And you can kind of see how they work there and how they interact, which is cool. Uh, but while we're here, just, you know, briefly, a good question to ask would be why? I've literally got a paragraph, it's great. Uh, why, why did God create it? Why did God create anything? What did he make us for? Why are we here? Because God is a trinity, the answer to that question is glorious. It's so good. So God... In perfect love and harmony, ecstatically happy throughout eternity, just delighting, all these persons of the, of the Godhead, of the Trinity, just delighting in each other and loving each other and enjoying each other, just so happy for all eternity. He did not create us and everything else because he was lonely. He did not create us because he was bored. If you've just got a single person God, a God on his own, then creation has to come out of something like that because he's just rocking around on his own for all eternity, but that's not the case with our God, with this triune God, who wasn't lonely, he wasn't bored. He didn't create us out of any kind of need or a selfish desire for slaves or for pets. And it wasn't that his fundamental identity is creator and ruler and he needed a creation to rule in order to be who he is. He didn't need us in order to be who he is. The universe was created out of this overflowing love between Father, Son and Spirit. And that means that we are not a failed experiment, we're not an irritating regret, we aren't here to be used. We're here to be loved. God is ecstatically happy and he wanted to share it. Just like when you love something so much that you need to go and find your friend and be like, oh, I need to tell you about this thing. I need to show you this thing. This is so awesome. That's like how the father is with the son and the son the father. They're just like, my goodness, I need, I need to tell someone. Ah! Yeah, and this is why he made us, because he's so happy and he wants to share it. We are made to participate in and enjoy this immense love between the persons of the Trinity. We are made so that the Father can share his love for the Son, and so we can be included in the response of love from the Son to the Father. And that, I think that's pretty good news. Thank you. Glad to know I'm not alone. And if this is the case, then when God calls us to love him above everything else, it isn't greedy or needy or selfish. It's a call to enjoy and to rejoice in this radiance that we were made to bask in. God asking for our hearts is him inviting us into joy. If he is the source of all goodness and love, then goodness and love and ultimate happiness are only going to be found in him. We're not going to find it anywhere else. So when he says, don't go after that, come after me, that's because he wants your joy. That's because he loves you. He's not trying to take away like your favourite toy or something like a parent being mean. Like He's doing it because joy is in him, because love is him, because he is goodness, and because those things can only be found in him, because your heart was made for him and it will not be satisfied unless it's in him. So, this is what we were made for, to be a part of this eternal love, uh, the eternal love of the Trinity, to be as loved as the Son and to adore the Father. But obviously, something went wrong. Uh, this universe that the triune God had made good and harmonious and beautiful has been marred. As I'm sure you've experienced, even today, there is hatred and pain and death in the world. And we don't spend our every waking moment enjoying and participating in the love of the Trinity. And some people don't even know that it's there to be participated in. What is the cause of this? 
the Bible tells us, as I'm sure you know, that the cause of this is sin. <gasps> it did it. I was concerned it wasn't going to get there because it was so small. So, it's a good looking apple, isn't it? I did kind of want to eat it, but I didn't because it's on the screen. So, sin. Sin is not just what you do say and think wrong, okay? Sin is not just about your behaviour. On one level, what happened in Genesis 3 is a story of disobedience. So God said to Adam and Eve, don't eat the fruit. And then Adam and Eve ate the fruit. They just disobeyed. But it is, it's deeper than that. It's deeper than behaviour. And it's actually about love. It's about their love. So we're made in the image of the triune God of love, to love and be loved. So it's not that Adam and Eve stopped loving. We're, we're lovers by design. We can't stop loving. But instead, their love turned. Their love turned away from God. It was twisted and misdirected, and God was replaced as the object of their affection. So Adam and Eve, they wanted the fruit and the wisdom that it promised more than they wanted him. We are made to look outwards, just as the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they look outwards to enjoy one another. We're made to do that in the same way, but we turn inwards to love only ourselves. <coughs> and I say we, because we've all done this, yeah? We've all, at some point in our lives, loved something more than God. All of us have replaced God as the object of our affections, and we've let our love turn away from him. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as it says somewhere. Somewhere. In the Bible. In the Bible. In the Bible. So, God's response to this was love. And if that ever loads, you'll see that. So our sin separated us from him, yeah? We turned our backs on him. We got... <gasps> oh, we went too far. That's okay. We got chained down by all of our hearts, other affections. We got tied up by all of these things. And they can't just be ignored. Someone had to pay for them. Someone had to pay for the terrible things that have been done to you. And someone had to pay for the terrible things that you have done to other people. Yeah, there has to be justice. So the father sent his son, his eternally beloved son, this one whom he has been adoring and delighting in and enjoying since before creation. This, this, this son who just shines out from his father, this, this son who is him but isn't him and is just one with him, this son, he sends this son to come to earth as a man so the eternal God embraces limits and weakness and pain and he dies on the cross as payment for all of our sins all of our betrayal, all of our adultery because that's essentially what this is this is the death that we deserve <coughs> but Jesus, God the son took our place <coughs> but he did not stay dead Quince is excited he rose again, he came back to life, because this wasn't just about paying for our sin, it was also about reuniting us with God. And here again, in our salvation, you can see the Trinity. The Spirit turns our hearts back to God, he enables us to believe in him. And when we put our faith in Jesus, the Spirit unites us with Jesus in both his death and his resurrection. So we share Jesus' new life, this life of perfect relationship with the Father, empowered by the Spirit. And we become his children 1 John 3 verse 1, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That's what Jesus wins for us. It's more than forgiveness. Salvation is more than our debts being paid or Jesus buying our ticket to heaven. It's about God the Spirit turning our hearts back to him so that we might put our faith in God the Son and be adopted by God the Father. Salvation is about being reunited with this God, brought so close to him that he is in us and we are in him. It's a new life of knowing God and delighting in him and being loved by him. And when we accept this gift of salvation, 
we are being welcomed into the love that the Trinity have shared throughout eternity that we were made to live in. We're as loved as the Son. We're one with the Father, just like he is. And we share in the Son's delight in the Father through the Spirit. And I hope that you can see that the way that we're loved by God is not this generic blanket affection. You're not just one in a crowd. It's not that he looks down at a mass of his people and simply counts you as one of them. The Trinity reaches out individually to you. This love is intimate and it is personal. You are seen and known for who you are, and you are loved. You, all of your quirks and your oddities and your traits and your gifts and your dreams, it is you that he loves. So we live this new life with God through the Spirit. Uh, so through the Spirit, the Father reveals more and more of the Son to us, more of his beauty and his love and his glory and his kindness. And so he stirs up our own love for the Son, and that love is kind of an echo and an extension of the Father's love for the Son. And then the Spirit also makes us more like the Son. He transforms us into his likeness, as the verse that we're learning teaches us. And the thing most characteristic of the Son is his love for the Father. So we're being transformed into this image of the Son and loving the Father the way that he does. So the Spirit brings us into this new life where we love and enjoy the Son like the Father and where we love and enjoy the Father like the Son, where we're united to God so closely that we share in the love of the Trinity. We grow more and more like him, we see more and more of him. We enjoy him more and more deeply. And that goes on into eternity. <coughs> Heaven isn't sitting around on clouds playing harps. And it isn't a place where all your family and your friends are and some nice person is giving out free ice cream. Heaven is being with God. Heaven is seeing God. Heaven is knowing God and loving God and enjoying God more and more forever. So... I've had like half an hour to talk about an eternal God and hopefully you see how inadequate that is. He is so much more than what I've said and we could be talking about him for the rest of our lives and still not reach the end. But what you think about God shapes everything else about your life. It shapes how you think of yourself and how you think of others, what you think about your work and your family, uh, your dreams and your passions, your purpose, everything. And there is no greater pursuit that you could give your life to than knowing more about this God. There's no greater way to live, no better way to live than wrapped up in his love. So we've got 10 minutes, and I just want to leave some time to reflect for the spirit of God to do whatever he wants to do, because I think there's going to be a bunch of different things going on. Um, so just take some time for us to think and adjust and gaze more fully on the beauty of our God. And I'm looking at Quince, because hopefully he is going to lead that. Yes. Yes, he is. Good. Please give Ashley a round of applause.